Okay, so for um, the weekly podcast um, for this week, um, I have our old buddy Julius joining me. Um, maybe, maybe Julius, you can like give like a thirty-second intro of who you are, and go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, hello, I'm Julius. For those of you who don't know me, um, I was a former attendee of NCA, but now I reside in Portland. Yeah, NCA is very close to my heart, and Pastor John is a great pastor. And uh, I wanted to talk about some things with um, PJ. Yeah, so... Um, it's it's been good to kind of keep in touch, though. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. So to kind of help me out, um, you're gonna ask me some questions. <laughs> Give yes. me material for the weekly podcast. Um, it, it and I do appreciate you you um, kind of initiating this because it it does help me with the the content part. Mm. It it's harder to just uh, talk by myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It can definitely be helpful to have someone else to like bounce off ideas. <laughs> um, and and so this and this way, I know for sure there's at least one person served through this. So, <laughs> um, why don't you fire away and um, kind of share, share some questions that you've been having? That's been on. yeah, um, yeah. So in light of a lot of the events kind of happening around the world right now um, in our nation and even abroad, like um, there's a lot of turmoil that is happening within governments um, specifically like in China uh, with persecution of Christians or uh, Uyghurs um, that those actions are essentially enforced by the government. Mm. Um, and then we also have uh, our local national turmoil with all the protests going on and mm -hmm. um, all these things going on, like injustice. So yeah, um, I guess the question being like, how do we make sense of all these things um, biblically? Because Romans 13, 1, says mm -hmm. that um, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, and just, yeah. So just wondering how do we make sense of this passage yeah. in light of like everything that is currently happening? Yeah, that's a good question, not just for what we're going through here on our end, but also, like you mentioned, in different places around the world. And, uh, yeah, Romans 13, uh, yeah, very clearly says, uh, let everyone be subject to the authorities. Now, the 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 rest of that passage and that, the context of that, you also see uh, that uh, these authorities uh, are appointed by God. And it also says, and it says this in verse three, that rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Hmm. So there's a certain like assumption there about 
just nature of governing authorities and why God appoints them and gives them that authority mm. uh, that they are to maintain good order and become a threat to uh, disorder or um, you know people who want to do harm because um, because you really can't have one without the other you can't really have uh, civil order or peace uh, without um, the, the hammer that sort of goes down on disorder and violence and um, chaos right so so that assumption is there and and I think the big question is okay what if then rulers are not a terror to, to good but uh, I mean sorry if what if rulers are are in fact a terror to good conduct. Right. Um, and so that's where the question of civil disobedience comes in, where you have the government or civil law uh, standing against your moral obligation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of a really helpful paper on this, uh, one by... Um, theologian John Frame titled, uh, when in the course of human events does civil disobedience become necessary? Mm-hmm. And um, he does point out uh, exactly what you pointed out, that in most cases, you know, scripture urges Christians to be good citizens, be obedient, pay your taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like repeated not only in Romans 13, but um, in, in various other places as well uh, in the Bible. Now, however, at the same time, when it comes to cases where the rulers are unjust, uh, Bible has examples of um, something that looks like civil disobedience. So you can go all the way back to like Exodus with the case of uh, the Hebrew midwives. Remember that? Mm. Where the, uh, the king of Egypt, right? basically commands them to make sure they, they kill the baby right. boy, right? Um, but they refuse. They, they fear God more, and so they refuse to do that against against the, um, the command of the, the king. Mm. Um, and you have, of course, additional examples like in, like in Daniel um, with uh, worship of, you know, false gods, um, right. And, and then clearly like in the new Testament, when never like the apostles were charged not to preach the gospel, uh, they disobey that. Right. And, and they, they do what is right in the sight of God. So in the Bible, you do have plenty of examples where in the case of, um, your, your moral obligation to God uh, conflicting with uh, civil law, you have to obey God rather than man. Right. Uh, so, so there's that. There's that's kind of the I guess the the big picture just to put that out there. Uh, but does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I. It, it makes sense. Um, I think where it might get tricky like i mean 
I think when rulers are um, a threat to good conduct, it seems like a very obvious thing that they're being unjust. Mm. Um, I guess the question I had or the thought I had was like, um, what do you, almost like, what do you do if the ruler feels justified? Like, I mean, when a ruler does something like that, he, he or she doesn't believe that he's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. In most cases, like, I mean, even Hitler didn't believe he was doing a bad thing. He thought he was doing something that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is where uh, you know, we, we, we do come to an understanding of the world where, uh, for one, uh, we're living in a moral universe where moral obligations exist, right? Mm. And it's in that context and only in that context that government authorities have an objective obligation to be moral. Mm-hmm. Other, you find to something like what Nietzsche believes, which is, and, and he's, he's a total, you know, nihilistic atheist who believe, you know, morality is just something that's dictated by the powerful. Mm. Uh, so what's right it depends on who's in power. Right. Um, and in a sense, you therefore cannot really hold those in power accountable really to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, technically not. And, but, but with, within a biblical worldview where um, God himself is holy and he creates uh, us male and female in his own image after him, and then gives us also his um, moral law, then we have reason to believe that this universe is governed by God's moral laws and we either obey them or disobey them. Mm-hmm. And, and that includes not only the individual, but also those who take care of them, those who are in authority, those who govern. Um, and... And so within that biblical worldview, we have, we have room to, to talk about, you know, um, just rulers and unjust rulers in that context. Right. And then hold them accountable. Uh, a lot of times to the even just common sense of just what is right and wrong. But mm. uh, I think more importantly, hold them accountable to God's word. Right. And one example that. Uh, John Frame gives is, you know, how the Bible says, rescue those being led away to death. Mm. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Well, then that means we, as creatures created by this God who gives his command, have a moral obligation then to rescue anyone who's being led away to death Mm. and and led away to slaughter. And uh, I think... The, the very people who did resist um, the Nazis, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. were, were, were Christians who really believed this and acted on it right. um, because they believed the, the, uh, 
They believe that Hitler was being disobedient ultimately, ultimately to God, not not just to like their common sense of decency, mm-hmm. but to God. And they and they have a moral obligation to uh, therefore uh, rescue those who are being led to the slaughter. And so we have a moral obligation to uh, speak up against that. Um, now, um, to to what degree is is civil disobedience uh, justified when it comes to that? He says that's debatable. That's debatable. But what's what's clear is that um, we we draw the the moral principles, the moral law from the scriptures. Because only within that biblical framework does it make sense for us to even have moral conversations um, and hold anyone accountable, whether it's a ruler or just a, a normal citizen. Right. Um, yeah, that's, I think those are really good points. And I think that um, just based on what you said, it's sounding to me like protests are okay then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes it can be justified, and not only just. I mean, not only okay, but um, I think uh, sometimes it's even encouraged, uh, obligatory. Mm. Um, to the degree that you know, scripture, what's commanded in scripture is really being defied. Mm. Uh, you have to protest that. Now, the the question is, what does that protest look like? Right. It can look like a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. And how does the protest look like in terms of quantity, but quality as well? Right. Uh, one of the questions that I think. We, we can be asking even now with the, with the protests that are going on. Uh, what will be the lasting impact of this uh, down the road? Mm-hmm. And that's something that is really hard to predict. And I think part of the fear in a lot of people is this may not be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, that's a legitimate concern you know right so now then when as you try to gauge what is more effective in creating reform and change your protest which is really your investment of your time your energy your money your resources may go to different places and and may look different Mm -hmm. and i think it's important that we give people permission to look different in their and not to say if you don't conform to the way I protest um, then you're not with me or you're you're me Um, I saw something today that was just absolutely silly Um, today's you know blackout Tuesday and 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 I applaud that I actually wanted to do that myself the reason why I didn't was I just saw a few activists sharing like there could be a, a counterproductive thing to it where you uh, black out certain messages that should be perpetuating and mm-hmm. it's 
killing the momentum that they've been building in terms of spreading information. Yeah. Um, and kind of turning it into a sort of the, the, the new color symbol for uh, BLM when, you know, it, you have a similar thing with like breast cancer and pink and um, that hasn't really done all that much to actually cure the disease. Mm. So I, I was just reading that from various activists, African-American activists, and I just, okay, now I'm not sure if I want like, <laughs> to change my profile picture. Um, but I applaud people for doing it. I know I know the heart behind it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw I saw that um, uh, Emma Watson got into trouble for doing it because <laughs> she she did it with white frames around it. And mm-hmm. apparently it was so that she would keep the Instagram aesthetic. <laughs> and, and apparently there's like, the, there's, there's an outrage over that. Mm. Like you didn't do it right. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't, it, it's supposed to be completely, completely black and you, you're, you're doing it wrong. Right. And that to me seemed just, utterly silly and mm. um you're you're lashing out at someone who's side you right who's totally and she i'm i'm what from what i know of her she's a very active like outspoken um activist who supports black lives matter and all mm-hmm. that but but they're hurting their own just because right. the protest doesn't look the same mm. and to me that's just unfortunate right um and so so that's just an example of how our protest i think sometimes is obligated by scripture but i think at the same time because our consciences are different and our resources are different our capabilities are different the the form of our protest will look different as well Mm -hmm. so uh yeah if let's say you're a 70 year old man and you absolutely believe in this call, but maybe it's not the best idea for you to be so close proximity with so many people during COVID-19 and risk catching it. Right. Um, So you're because of your capacity, right? Your protest may look different. Your protest could be just, um, uh, staying home and doing something from home um, and, and spreading a certain information, sharing certain things with the people within your circle of influence, for example. Right. Um, yeah, I think that brings up a good point. Um, I know I was discussing this with some of my friends and like that issue also came up like when you... Um, when you basically lash out against people who are on your own side, um, that's basically like gatekeeping and not letting people um, express mm-hmm. how they want to be a part of this as well. Um, and I, I think the example that you gave, as silly as it is, it like it speaks to the truth of that. But I, I guess my question is like, what if it was on? Uh, a bigger scale than just on social media so Mm. you know like you said protests can take multiple forms you could post something on social media you can go out and march you can stay home um 
and donate. But what if someone's form of protest is more aggressive, like, um, mm. like confronting police uh, or provoking them or uh, breaking mm. window shops? Like, um, how do we make sense of those things? Are those forms of protest still legitimate? And should we let people do that? Or should we call them out on that? Yeah, I, I, I would say that's something that you should call out. Mm -hmm. um, um, I mean, the, the kind of destructive violence that uh, you see, it, I mean, what is the message there? I mean, so every form of protest carries a message, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what is the message that's embedded in destructive violence and theft? Um, and just the irony of um, hurting the very community that you are supposed to be representing. Um, what is that? What is that message? Mm -hmm. the, the message is supposed to be the conviction of injustice in the brutality that we saw in, in the, in the murder of George Floyd. Right. Um, and in a way, the, the, the people who are denying the, the injustice can look at the violence and the protest and have an excuse to, uh, to not focus on that issue now. Mm -hmm. Now the focus is more on the violence and the, um, and the looting. Right. And that, that, I mean, already, I think the headlines are talking more about that than George Floyd. Mm -hmm. The headlines already changed. And so in a way, you're subtracting from that message. And all you're doing is um, expressing your form of uncontrolled, vengeful um, anger that has nothing to do with the righteous anger and the the, the lamenting and the, and the cry for justice that is represented by the other side, the, the, by the peaceful protesters. Mm -hmm. And the, and, and of course the, the other aftermath of this is from the police standpoint, sometimes it's really hard to distinguish between the two. Right. When a big crowd, uh, distinguishing between, um, those who are just there to really lend their voice to righteous anger and those who are dressed pretty much the same way, but, but are, you know, like Antifa and, and that kind of people who were actually just out there to do harm. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really worth, and, and I think some people have been speaking out on this and not only pointing out the, um, the fact that it's not black people, who are doing a lot of this violent, like looting and um, um, and uh, even even breaking into churches and homes mm -hmm. and um, a lot of it is instigated by um, non non black and people from out, outside of their own city, from, from outside of their own state. Sometimes, mm -hmm. so so there's some 
disinformation that uh, that is out there that's, that's being dispelled, but but it just creates more more work. Right. People, and so I think that's something you definitely need to call out. Mm. Um. So, can is it appropriate to say that like nonviolent and civil disobedience is really the only righteous way to protest if we're going down that route? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, I th- I mean, in a sense, your question is, is there ever, can there be a, an instance where uh, violence can be justly used to protest? Right. right. Um, and I think, the answer is yes. I mean, it, to put it simply, it is yes. It, it's just, we just have to be very careful in how we go about justifying that. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say it's simply yes is because, I mean, our country's found on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole principle behind the Second Amendment is sometimes you're going to need to use force to fight against a tyrannical government. Right. That, I mean, that's the whole premise of the Second Amendment. Um, so, so the simple answer is yes. There, there can be instances where um, force is needed to overthrow a government that's no longer upholding itself, no longer upholding its own law, mm. um, no longer protecting its people. Now, you you do have to separate uh, the the kind of attempt to restore order mm. and the and the attempt to bring back a just society where people are safe right and the law is abided by and the kind of violence that is just sheerly driven by criminality mm-hmm. and, and and has no intention of restoring any order but it's just sheer adrenaline yeah just drunk and it's just anger it's just rage um there's no system to it there's no purpose to it there's no intention of restoring anything it's just the intention is to uh deconstruct everything mm. so so there is there are rare cases where organized i think um force is used to restore order and restore um peace i mean this this is really it's like a venn diagram that overlaps with the just war theory um but um but yeah we have to separate that from the the deconstructive uh violence that that we're seeing in the protests today right yeah um yeah just add we are nowhere near that right now in terms of needing that kind of right. Uh, nowhere near needing to use force to overthrow our own government. Yeah. Uh, we're nowhere near that. There's so much uh, work that's left undone at the legislative level and at the, at the communal level mm-hmm. um, and the local level, at the church level, at the, at the educational level and, uh, just, just basic relational level that 
resorting to force now right. is simply is simply um, ignorant and impatient and immature, mm. and that's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, there's just so much to be done right. um and and the the question i think for christians is it, it's the it's the age-old question of sanctification is what is god calling me to do today mm. right that um what has he gifted me with what has he blessed me with so that i can be his salt and light today right um I was just reading, you know, we, we have our book club at church and we're reading this book on sanctification. And um, the author, David Paulison, talks about how, you know, in anyone's story, in their Christian journey, um, there's always this pattern of seeing um, how one can go about doing three three things repeatedly. And, and they are to forgive to take refuge and to be an imitator. Hmm. Forgive as you've been forgiven in Christ. So strive to reconcile, strive towards reconciliation uh, and to love your neighbors, mm -hmm. right? And then take refuge. Make sure you're taking refuge in your shepherd, in your rock, which is God, the only truest safe place you have. It's not in this world. Your hope is not in this world. Uh, your hope is in him. It's hidden in the Lord. Take refuge in him. So that the way that this world is just not the way they're supposed to be won't completely derail you every time you notice that. Mm. You're anchored. You're anchored in your Savior, and be an imitator. Be a be a living announcement or preview of the coming kingdom of God, where His justice will reign, uh, where there will be reconciliation, where there will be peace, where there will be equality. And be an imitator of that now. Be this prophetic announcer of, of that coming kingdom now. And what would that look like for you to, to represent that, given what God has gifted you with? Yeah. And that's, that alone gives us a ton to work with, right. uh, especially if you are a follower of Christ. It, it comes back to discipleship. It really comes back to that. And from there, we can, of course, move on to how we can work together and uh, create more societal reform. But uh, I think God changes individual hearts and then brings those individuals together to create that kind of change. And so um, given the work that the church can do, given the work that I think just our culture can do as a whole, there's just no justification for any use of um, violence I, from either side, I think, from whether it's the police or um, the, the protesters. I don't think violence is justifiable uh, mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, covering all bases. Don't want to be called an anarchist. <laughs> no, nor, nor a pacifist. Right. Yeah, I think we have to avoid the both, both extremes. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think um, a lot of times we think about the passage of like turning the other cheek and and just kind mm -hmm. of being submissive. But 
I mean, in reality, God is still a God who fights. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, so we've been talking a lot about like, almost like practical things, like how we make sense of practical things like mm-hmm. protests and stuff. Um, more, more on like yeah. a, a high level thought, like how do we make sense of like, let's say tyrannical authorities. I'm not going to call anyone out as a tyrannical authority, but um, Um, when tyrannical authorities are in power, how do we make sense of that? Because going back to the passage, it says that God places all authorities. Um, Mm -hmm. So when there is a tyrannical authority in, in power like Hitler or Nero in the Roman empire, um, or in Egypt, like, uh, with the midwives, like, how do I make sense of those authorities? Like spiritually speaking, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so we are coming from a reformed understanding of human nature, meaning like we, we believe the Bible when it says that, um, although we were created in the image of God, sin has entered the world and therefore it has impacted every aspect of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And all throughout the Bible, what we see is uh, even in the, the very prophets and priests and kings and judges that God himself had appointed, mm-hmm. when these people are placed in power, that sinful nature is magnified. Mm-hmm. You, you see that time and time again. Um, you see that with Saul. You see that with the, the Levites. Mm-hmm. You see all of the judges. Um, and this should not surprise us that the reality of sin is in all of us. And it's not theoretical. It's not just a concept mm-hmm. or or an intellectual doctrine. But... The, the reason why sin is so terrible is because it has real life consequences. Mm. And um, the, the chief, of course, consequences exemplified in Adam's sin, because in Adam, we all sin. And by that, it means by his headship and him being our representative, his sin has this universal effect on all of his posterity his children his descendants and this is a principle this is a universal principle that we acknowledge and we 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 see we perceive if if you have a bad king you have a bad nation mm-hmm. if you have a bad father you have a you have a family that's suffering mm-hmm. um you have you have a bad uh boss you, you have a you have a bad company you know it's the the principle of headship and its influence on all the rest that's that's a universal Mm -hmm. principle and the cause of that is not god but it's our own sinful nature right and then the answer then to how do we uh, resolve this then has to have something to do with how god resolves the problem the ultimate problem of sin 
mm-hmm. right? Um, and when, when we look at the Bible, when we look at how God addresses the problem of sin, it's ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to us, the son of God comes to us to bring God's kingdom down to earth. First, by uh, dealing with our problem of sin, by paying the penalty for our sin and making just payment for our sin so that the, the in a way, the justified force that was to be implemented on us won't be implemented on us. But he, he would take all that penalty on himself on the cross. So justice is established and peace is, peace is made possible. And on the other hand, he's going to give us his righteousness, his law-abiding record, so that we will be acceptable citizens in that kingdom, in that coming kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he gives us both, both the forgiveness of our sins and the righteousness that gets us in. Um, and that's the good news. And being part of that kingdom means our hope now is in King Jesus. Mm-hmm. In his, in his uh, legislature, in his law, and in in his reign, um, and our hope is found in no other. So, if anything, what we're, what we are to, immediately see from just how broken our kings and rulers on earth are, is in a, in a sense the same thing that God wanted the Israelites to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the, the the terrible kings that right. they had, that led to the kingdom being split up and them being becoming exiles, is that we need a perfect king. <laughs> we need uh, we need a savior king who will never let us down and who will establish an everlasting kingdom that cannot be mm. overthrown. And that cry that we have as human beings, for that gov- that perfect government, that prince of peace, that cry is a cry for Christ. Right. And the good news is that he has come and we have to trust in him and hope in him and not in any earthly kings. Uh, I mean, we there were good kings, even biblical kings, but as soon as they died, um, mm. that ends. And and that's no good news. Right. Uh, that That's why our hope is in the everlasting kingdom of God. So, the, the general answer to your question is um, we have to transfer a lot of hope. We have to transfer a lot of our security and confidence over to Christ and his kingdom and seek his kingdom first uh, so that we can look at the present state of things a little bit more objectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And it actually would liberate us, like free us to just do what we are called to do in the here and now in obedience to, to Christ and his kingdom to create whatever reform we can create, to elect whoever we feel our conscience feels we should elect uh, so that we minimize the tyranny, we minimize the suffering, and we minimize the, the, the mm. corruption. Um, but, but not being perfectionistic about it because we know that's impossible as long as human beings are carrying this sinful nature. Right. So, so it, it gives you a realistic view while not giving you a pessimistic mm-hmm. view. 
Whereas, man, if you don't have that vision of the coming kingdom of God, mm-hmm. uh, you have to resort to anarchy or total uh, pessimism and therefore complacency, just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, nothing I do will make anything change. Why I, Why should I fight for justice in a totally broken justice system? You know, or... Why should I, you know, cure someone uh, when this person is going to die anyway? I mean, it, you can just resort to that kind mm-hmm. of pessimism and not do anything if this is all you have. Mm-hmm. But if there is something that is coming that will make all things new, that will right every wrong, then you have every consistent, rational reason now to act in, in consistency with that because you're announcing that coming kingdom in your little little act of righteousness, in your little act of goodness, little acts of kindness, little acts of love and forgiveness, because you're you're anticipating and announcing the, the kingdom of God that will come and make that make that perfect. Right. Um so if I'm understanding correctly, like <laughs> Uh, in terms of like placing quote unquote tyrannical authorities, um, it's not necessarily that God places evil men in authority, but more that like, I mean, like you were saying, like even even like quote unquote righteous kings are not truly righteous, but because of sin, um, in a way they can become evil. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, you know how they say yeah. power corrupts. You know, I, I think a more accurate way to put it might be power reveals or magnifies mm-hmm. the corrupt heart. Um, and so you see, even really good people being elected, and then after after a while, that place of power mm. changing them. You see that in spiritual leaders right. too, right? really genuine at first but after just having a lot of power and influence mm. changing um another aspect to this is the the tyrannical the, the bad rulers and kings oftentimes are chosen by right. people right so um so it the in a way it's like a communal sin it's right. a it, who, who thought it was a good idea to elect this guy you know that's what people think well millions of people yeah um so so it's it it can't simply be i mean that's how saul was elected right right? god was like uh no no." and the people are like oh we want that guy okay you know um yeah i think uh sometimes God permits us to get what we want. So we will see mm. what we truly need. And that's scary, but, um, we are, we are that <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> we are stubborn. And, um, um, that's why I think it's really God's by God's mercy that we can, we can see that, uh, these, these Kings are not these rulers, these, um, authorities, 
really cannot save us. And, and part one or step one of drawing closer to the gospel is just, yeah, once again, transferring your hope away from fallen creatures over to that one sinless creature or sinless man, the uncreated God, Son of God, Jesus, uh, who became man to represent us in a way that no one else could ever and had never ever ever could represent us so that he can be our our king and uh, we will gladly submit ourselves you know to, to him we will never have to protest him we will never have to uh riot against him um because he's mm. a prince of peace um cool well those are kind of all the questions i have <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. I I do hope people will look into just other um you know actually speaking of other resources um I we the next book that I'm going to plug this for our church people uh because I announced this a couple of weeks ago we're going to start our next mm-hmm. book pretty soon uh for our book club and the book title is uh I believe it's Generous Justice. Hmm. Um Generous Justice, How God's Grace Makes Us Just by mm. Tim Keller. And really cool is I picked this book like long before any of this <laughs> went down. <laughs> okay, so I did not, you know, uh, I, I actually picked this book when we were on our series on uh, generosity mm. months ago. And just by God's providence, um, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of things in that book that can speak to, uh, at least on a general sort of introductory level, speak to how we can understand what's going mm-hmm. now biblically. And um, so, so yeah, I do want to encourage people to, you know, you sh- you can join us too, you know, and we encourage people to pick that, pick up that book, and um, uh, we'll probably start discussing that okay. in two weeks. Sounds pretty good. All right, man. Thanks for. Um, Thanks for uh, doing this with me and uh, giving me some good content to yeah. share. Thanks for uh, uh, answering yeah. all those questions. <laughs> I'll uh, well, let's yeah, catch up sure. again uh, later. Sounds good. All right, thanks, all right, BJ. thanks, man.